I want us to read together Psalm 100. It's gonna come up on the screen and uh, we're gonna say it together. Okay, here we go. Shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Would help if I gave you the words first. Here we go. I'm just so filled with joy, I, couldn't, I just couldn't wait any longer. Here we go. Shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him, singing with joy. Acknowledge that he, the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever, and his faithfulness continues to every generation. Give thanks to him. Praise his name because he is good. Coming out of Thanksgiving and heading into the Christmas season, I thought it would be a good idea maybe to remind us what gratitude really is, what it looks like to not just give thanks on Thanksgiving Day and to not just be thankful through the Christmas holidays, but to really zero in on what is, what is truly a, a gratitude. So there's two different kinds of gratitude, and I want to start there. You have, first of all, you have situational gratitude. Situational gratitude means we're thankful when something good is happening. We can always be happy there. It's easy to be happy there. But typically, we're not very happy when it's going a direction we don't enjoy. We're thankful only when something good happens. We, we like this kind of gratitude fuel. What it feels like when all is going just the way we planned it or just the way we wanted it to go. When everything is going well, we forget that we need God sometimes that only God can give us all of what we most need. When we check the boxes of all that's going on, or look at the boxes of how we could give a, our, our, add our, our own issues or our own life to it, when we go through all of those things, and particularly at the holidays, we're going through many, many different things or different feelings or different emotions, being around people or family or whatever it may be. But situational gratitude means I'll be happy when everything's okay. All is well. Life is good until it isn't. And in moments of pain, pain that disrupts our happy lives, we tend to start thinking we may need help from our church. The greater the pain, the quicker we tend to want to go back to the church because maybe there we'll find some help. And maybe if we were worshiping more consistently, or maybe if we were doing that, maybe if we were really paying attention to the work of God, we might understand these things better. Pain can do, uh, do a lot of things for people and take us a lot of places. We may even go so far for the first time in our life to ask someone else to pray for us. We tell God specifically what we want, hoping he'll deliver us from the disappointment of the moment. I think if there's anything we're doing, what continually comes to my mind, and this isn't a, a spiritual push to be in church more. I'm just saying, when you look at God's idea of the church in Acts chapters two, three, and four, it will mention that they got together daily. Now, I'm not suggesting we do that. I, I don't think there's a spiritual formula. I don't think that's a mandate that has to be done. 
But the example was when that church started forming after Jesus had risen back into the heavens, when this church, the church, the church that would be the church, when we, they started gathering, they, they got together every day. They'd eat and they'd break bread in each other's homes. They'd have communion together. Then they'd all get together. They would worship together. That's kind of was the, the, how we all got started. We find our roots as a church, every church does, going all the way back to Acts chapter two, when Jesus ascended back into heaven and thus the church was born. The spirit came at Pentecost and the people had gathered together. That was a massive crowd if you've studied the history of it. So that crowd couldn't all get into one place. But it was just the beginning of God's idea of what the local church would look like. That's where it started. And I'm not suggesting we go back to that, although there's no downside to it, frankly. It'd mess up our schedules, but perhaps it'd put some priorities in our life that something would take a place that is greater than what we give all of our time to typically in, a, in any given week. People need to understand, we all need to understand, Situational gratitude means when we're in trouble, we run back to church that for whatever reason, we had kind of parked it off to the side for a while. And I'm not a proponent saying you gotta be here 52 Sundays a year. That'd give me a heart attack, so don't even try that. But I, I'm saying we need to be a part of a body of Christ. I know a lot of people love Jesus, but we've got something in our culture going that says we'll go to church one and a half times a month. And that's the trend now. How do we get from they gathered together every day in the temple courts and in their homes to one and a half times per month? And again, I'm not suggesting we take, you all know how many Sundays I take off. All right? So I'm, I'm, not, I'm preaching to the choir here. It's, it's not that we can't go away. It's not that we do things. It's not that, it's not that we have to be there. It's the intention, the intention that I will follow Jesus and I will be fueled in that journey by the church family I'm a part of. But what happens to us is we get really caught up in situational gratitude where we have no interest in the reality of the world in which we live, the reality that Jesus was kind enough to tell us what it looked like. And the Bible prepares us for this roller coaster ride of the seasons of life. So when you're in situational gratitude, in other words, the situation's bad, I'm not happy either. I, we get mad at God or angry with God, whatever we're gonna go through. We question God, and that's okay. There are times you're gonna do that. God, I wish you could help me understand this. And he might sometimes, and other times, he won't. He's already told us some things. For example, in James 1 and 2, James chapter 1, verse 2, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. That's not how I approach trials. Oh, Kim, we're in a trial now, let's be joyful. We got a trial going on, something's twisted off in life, somebody jumped off a bridge somewhere into the abyss of being an idiot, you know, and so now what are we gonna do? Let's just, let's just be joyful. Let's just be joyful. Let's tell them who've jumped off the, some bridge they should have jumped off of into some pattern that they shouldn't be engaged with. Let's just stand there and tell them, sorry, Sorry, because we're going to consider it pure joy that we're facing a trial that's your fault. We're, we're going to consider it joy. Now, does that mean uh, I told her my car today? Praise God. <laughs> Unless you're trying to get rid of a car. 
That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when we don't give much thought to the incredible gift of life that Jesus gave us on a cross. And that's why those people started gathering every day. And again, I'm not saying we ought to go back to that. There's something going on every day in this church, every day. But that's just because that's where the needs are and it's meeting a variety of needs. Situational gratitude masks the reality that Jesus said it. He said it. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, I've overcome the world. I remember in the early days of being a pastor, uh, in those days, you, you know, you knew everybody in the church, there were about 150 of us, and that might have been on Easter, and so that was a, it was a wonderful church even then, it had a great spirit to it, just like we still have now. But I remember going to hospital to visit people and to be with them and to pray for them. And the hardest ones for me, the most difficult ones that came in, when someone in the church had a child that was very sick, maybe in intensive care at Children's Hospital. And when I first would get that call, I'd think, oh, I, can't, I don't know if I can go do that. I, because I'll make him feel worse. Because all I'm going to do is get there. I'm just going to cry too. It's, you know, I, boy, I have a soft spot for kids. I think we all do. It was so hard to walk into an intensive care unit at Children's Hospital. And many times the child would get well and sometimes they wouldn't. But I had parents ask me all the time, how could a good God let this happen? To us. And all I had to say, thank God for that one verse in John 16, 33, and I would just simply say, Jesus told us to be prepared because in this world we're going to have trials. In fact, it says trials of many kinds. He does not say, follow me and you'll never have a trial in your life again. Follow me and everything's going to be good. No, he says, in this world, you will have trials of many kinds because you know the testing of your faith will produce perseverance in you. That's from James 1 and 2. We're gonna consider it joy when we face trials of many kinds because when we are tested, when our faith is tested, it produces perseverance. It makes us ready for the trials that are yet to come. And Lord, we hope people don't face that with a child or a loved one gets, gets a diagnosis that the cancer is spreading and there's not much they can do. And again, I will say, Jesus reminded us. One, he said, my kingdom's not of this world. So we know what that is. We know we can get there. And there's a way to go there. And it's through Jesus. But I'm so thankful that Jesus was kind enough. And James wrote it down in chapter one, verse two. James said, consider it joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because the testing of your faith will produce perseverance. And Lord knows we all need it. So situational gratitude means we're thankful only when things are going right. Thankful only when things are going right. There's a person that came into our life a little over 13 years ago, a couple. We never got a chance to meet the husband, but we met the wife of this couple. And uh, we were quite taken with her. There was a house that had been for sale for quite a while 
we didn't know it had been for sale for quite a while. And all of a sudden, uh, a couple of years go by and someone calls and tells me about the house. I go, oh, no, 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 we, I know what they're asking. We can't do that. Well, over the years, that price had come down and would come down and come down. Now, here's the reason most people would walk into the home, they'd get back to the back part of the house and they say, oh no. Because the back part of the house was somewhat of a hospital. We weren't aware of the whole story, but we found out that we could sell our house for what we had in that and take the same money and buy this one. We couldn't believe we got this house. Trees everywhere. I mean, Kim, she's a tree hugger, you know? So she got her trees. I can't even trim them. She'll go, don't touch those trees. They'll be better if I can just prune them a little bit. I promise. But then we heard the story at closing. Kim was handed a book that we might be interested in. Not from the author, but from the person handling the closing. The book was called In the Valley of the Shadow by Gladys Lewis. Some of you know Gladys. Some of you remember when Gladys was interviewed on this stage. Her husband, Dr. Wilbur Lewis, was a prominent surgeon, founder of, and past president of Baptist Medical and Dental Association. His career was cut short by a skiing accident in 1993, December of 1993, and in his own words, he went from being a life care provider to a life care recipient. They're at this conference in, uh, at Copper Mountain where we ski quite a bit up in Colorado. He had already come down the hill and he was scooting in to take off the skis and go to lunch and there was an unfortunate, unmarked culvert that had just enough snow on it and you couldn't see it, but not enough snow to allow the skis to slide over it. He hit that culvert, unbeknownst to him, that was even under there, went face flat, and immediately was a ventilator-dependent quadriplegic. Now, in that moment, they didn't think he would live. Thankfully, it's a doctor's conference, so he had doctors coming from all directions. They held his head in place while the helicopter would come and take him on to Denver, where he would be almost a year, because nobody thought he would live in the helicopter ride. That by the time they'd got to Denver, it'd be over, but he lived. Nobody thought he'd get out of the hospital. It's a long story, there's a lot of details I'm skimming over, but he got out of the hospital a year later. And they moved, they ultimately built this house so there would be room for all that he needed, wide hallways. It's set up for me to be really old. It's wide hallways. I'll have no trouble getting around the wheelchair. You know, it's just perfect. Not a step on the property. Along with the house came a treasure, a friendship with Gladys. Never got to know Wilbur. In fact, Gladys and Wilbur attend First Baptist Church downtown. When Gladys heard that the Midtown Clinic that was sitting on there, right there by their church, that they helped start many years ago, when they found out that Crossings was going to be a part of that, she was thrilled because Gladys and Wilbur were part of getting that clinic started. What a, what a couple. Let me, let me tell you what she says in her book. A couple of things. We bared our souls to each other over the limited time we had received, time notice, notable in the face of the prayer support from all those around the world who had joined us in requesting the miracle we wanted and were waiting for it. 
No one has received more spiritual intercession than we. And we cried because he remains paralyzed and on the ventilator in the face of such gargantuan efforts. We want more than anything for him to stand, breathe, walk, and go back to the work he loves. I want his arms around me, his strength about me, protecting me from this unrelenting responsibility for both of us. That has not happened. And it has nothing to do with the depth or condition of our spiritual being. In fact, as Wilbur and I talked, we realized we have had many miracles. The fact they've not yet included breathing on his own or being able to move does not lessen the power of those miracles. She says, we are broken emotionally, battered physically, bruised intellectually, threatened financially, but we are in the best shape spiritually we have ever been in. That is a definition of intentional gratitude. They knew their hands, their, their life. They knew Wilbur's life was in the hands of Jesus. And Jesus would do whatever would come to them. Of course, they're praying for a miracle. The miracle came the day he got to go be with Jesus. He lived 10, I think, eight, seven, eight years. We've been stripped of all except the grace of God. We choose to be thankful in all circumstances because this is God's will for us in Christ Jesus, Thessalonians 5.16. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he heard me. He turned to me, and he heard my cry. That's Psalm 40, verse 1. I waited patiently. And this means when we're, when we're intentionally grateful, it means on our worst day, we can be thankful that God, we know God's going to get us through it as, as uncomfortable and difficult as it may seem. We know that we can be thankful even in those circumstances. And Gladys could start counting those blessings. Thank you that there happened to be doctors around. Thank you that the helicopter arrived. Thank you that he survived to the hospital in Denver. Thank you for the care we got in Denver. Thank you for the chance we had to bring him home. We never thought that would be possible. That's what you call intentional gratitude. What are the actions of intentional gratitude? A couple of things. Number one, we shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Why don't you read this with me? Say it. Shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. There are three reasons we're to be people of gratitude. It says the Lord is good. It says his unfailing love continues forever. It says his faithfulness continues to every generation. So we shout with joy. Now that does not mean we, we do not be intentionally grateful by brushing over or candy coating something that is difficult in our life at any moment. I mean, I see people in, occasionally, I would see people in intense trials. There's been tremendous loss or some very painful event. 
and they, they, they come across, well, we're just going to, you know, we're just going to give to the Lord and everything's going to be okay. And, and I want, and there's sometimes that's, well, that's great. I'm, I'm glad you feel that way. But shouting to the Lord for these good and his unfailing love and teens does not mean we're going to make light of the trials we're in. We're going to act like they're no big deal because they are. Many of those trials are insurmountable at times. The trial that Wilbur and Gladys went through didn't result in Wilbur ever being able to walk again. He was a ventilator-dependent quadriplegic. If the power went out, he died. And yet he learned how to write and speak and communicate. His own words are found in, in Gladys's book. We choose to be joyful. And the reason we can be joyful, even in the darkest moment, is we know we're not alone in this. Yeah, it hurts. Yes, there's pain. Probably a lot of tears. But we still can shout with joy because we know, we know we're not alone. Intentional gratitude is not spiritual denial. Intentional gratitude understands the difficulty of a situation, owns the reality it will be a difficult road for a period of time, but I will still praise him. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing, and you sing with joy. If there's any reason to draw close to the body of Christ in difficult times, it's the opportunity to gather with others and our common love for the only one who can really heal anything in our life, his name is Jesus. Many of the worship songs we sing in our services were written by people who'd been through a tough, difficult time, a heartbreaking trial. And out of the ashes of that experience, they emerged as worshipers regardless of the circumstances. Some of the great songs you hear, if you listen to Caleb, or if you listen to a variety of music that you can find on, on XM, you will find, if you knew the background, a lot of pain came out that caused that song to even be written. I remember Bill and Gloria Gaither, when I was a kid, they, they uh, wrote, they've, they've written a bunch of songs, they're still writing. But there was, this, there was a line, it was, the song was called, I Just Feel Like Something Good Is About To Happen. And that was probably a season where not many in the country at that time thought that would be possible. But there's this one line in that song. I couldn't tell you what I talked about last week. I'll never forget this. And in this, in this song, there came this line, before the child of God, things are going to get better either way. And that's true. Things are going to get better either way. So we worship the Lord with gladness. We come before him singing with joy. I grew up in what I would call, um, I wouldn't call it expressive worship. I, I grew up in a church much like uh, this church. Uh, and uh, I never really saw much in the way of hands going up in, in, in church. Uh, occasionally, someone would raise one, and you know, then the church would go, wonder what's wrong. <laughs> you know, and it, never mind. That was a small town, and gossip can really go into robo mode. I mean, today, even in our chapel, if somebody would, were to raise their hand during my sermon in the chapel, it means they have a question. In the sanctuary, if somebody raises his hand, it means you're a bit expressive, but not too much. One hand only. Some of you have the courage to occasionally get them both up there. Now, Kim will raise her hand. 
And I, I, sometimes I, I, I don't want to attract attention. I, and, and at that point, it says, well, quit worrying about what you're doing and lift your hand to the Lord. Who cares? Who thinks it all matters? Who loves us? And in the venues, raising your hands means you want more coffee. No, just kidding. <laughs> so we shout with joy. We worship with gladness. We know that the Lord is God. We enter his gates with thanksgiving and praise. And we praise him. And the reasons we can be thankful and grateful is because the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever and his faithfulness continues to every generation. And it's your choice. You can get along with situational gratitude and when, you, when it's not a good situation, you might wanna run to the church or somebody and suddenly the interest in prayer gets really high and that's okay. But I like intentional gratitude coming out of Thanksgiving, headed into Christmas. We need intentional gratitude, a constant commitment to find God in all things regardless of the circumstances. One more from Gladys. Wilbur had passed away. Life was moving on. She says, as I look back on my valley paths, I know I've been blessed with friends. Help, good surroundings, supportive family, good health, sound mind, work success, the memory of faithfulness to my wedding vows. The, me the memory of faithfulness to my wedding vows till death do us part. And 11 years with my husband after he should have died. The father provided, not as an austere, inaccessible deity handing out survival favors, but rather as a passenger in the car with us. I love that. He was a passenger in the car with us or with her or a presence of my mind, she says, or a breath of wind lifting the hair. During our 11 years in the valley, we practiced very little communal church life or public religious activities. We could not, yet we have never felt God more intimately. That's what you call someone who's become I could say maybe an expert as a child of God, as a follower of Christ, an intentional a person of intentional gratitude. Tony Evans, you know how much I like him. I, I do read other books, uh, but, but I'm always drawn. I always see what does he have to say about something. Here's what he has to say about giving thanks and gratitude. And I'll close with this. Give thanks. So, oh, God says to give thanks in everything. That doesn't mean you need to give thanks for everything. You don't need to give thanks for that bad day or for that bad relationship or for being passed over at work, for a financial hardship, whatever it is, you're not to give thanks for the difficulties, but rather in the difficulties. And boy, that puts it in perspective. We're to be thankful not for the difficulties, but in the difficulties. And that's a very important distinction, he says, and one I think we often miss. Giving thanks in everything shows a heart of faith that God is bigger than the difficulties and that he can use them if you approach him with the right heart, right spirit. He'll use them for your good and his glory. 
I'm gonna close in prayer, and again, I will invite our prayer teams to make their way to the front of all of our rooms. We'd be delighted to pray with you. Sometimes, between Thanksgiving and Christmas, can be one of the most painful times in a person's life. Painful for a lot of reasons. Maybe the memory is fresh of having just lost a loved one. Maybe there's gonna be such tension among relatives or friends in certain settings, and you almost dread it. There's all kinds of situations. Some are wonderful and some not so much. So we wanna pray with you and pray for you today. And it may have nothing to do with what's happening between Thanksgiving and Christmas. It may have everything to do that you find yourself now in a dark valley and you just need prayer. And you want someone to pray for you. We'd be delighted to do that in all of our rooms. Let's pray. Father, how thankful we are for reminder that you are good. Your unfailing love continues forever. You are faithful to every generation. So Father, as Hebrews 13 says, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. Father, help us through Christ to be a continual sacrifice of praise to God, regardless of the circumstances. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.